Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Feels good to be in this room, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, thank you for your patience and thank you to all those who worked uh, very hard over the last several weeks to, to make this happen, especially uh, the ladies who came up on Friday and uh, th there was a lot of work um, that went into cleaning this, this room. We weren't supposed to do that. It just kind of worked out that way so that we could meet back in here uh, today. And so I want to say thank you to all those ladies and thank you to Norman for hanging those lights on Saturday. We're continuing our study of joy. And so um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but, but we live in a culture that is desperately searching for happiness. You know, people want to be happy. People want to be joyful. There's all, much, all kinds of money and resources and attention spent on this. And even though we have plenty in this um, country, happiness and joy are often missing in people's lives. According to Dr. Anna Lemke, um, she's the author of Dopamine Nation, she says this is a problem in affluent nations. Uh, you would think that the more wealth and the more resources and the more possessions a country has, the happier they would be. That sounds right on paper, but that's not the case. In fact, the opposite is true. The more that a country has, the more unhappy they are. And so the countries with uh, the highest depression rates and the highest suicide rates are affluent nations. Why is this? Well, one reason, according to Dr. Lemke, is that abundance tends to lead to addiction. And so she says that we are a nation of addicts. And she's not just talking about drugs and alcohol. She's talking about shopping and pornography and sugar and video games, and on and on and on. In fact, this is what she says in the opening of her book. She says, because we've transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance, drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting, the increased numbers, variety, and potency of highly rewarding stimuli today is staggering. The smartphone is the modern-day hypodermic needle, delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. If you haven't met your drug of choice yet, it's coming soon to a website near you. And so in a society with plenty, She's saying that most people will become addicted to something. And one of the reasons that we miss out on joy is because we have too much. And this abundance that we experience here in our nation, these great blessings, don't always bring us joy. Of course, this shouldn't be news to us. We find this warning again and again in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so look at a couple passages. The first is a lengthy passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where Solomon tried this route. He tried to go down the, the, the route of abundance to find happiness. And listen to what he says. He says, I said in my heart, come now, 
I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Later in chapter 5, he revisits this theme. And he says here, he sums it up in a couple verses here. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? And so what we are experiencing now in our culture is nothing new. Solomon warned us of these problems thousands of years ago, and yet we keep seeking joy in all the wrong places. So I want us to focus on this morning, how do we find joy in a culture of abundance? How do we find joy in a culture that seems to be void or missing joy? Well, I would first suggests that we have to look to the right source. We're not going to find true joy if we're looking to wealth or possessions or power or technology or whatever else. Remember the words that we looked at from Jesus last week. He said in John chapter 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And so what do we need? We need the joy of Christ. Christ is the source of true joy. And so if we're looking anywhere else for joy, then we're not going to be satisfied. We will be like Solomon in Ecclesiastes who keeps looking and and looking but never finds fulfillment. And guess what? Solomon wasn't the only one. The Rolling Stones saying, I can't get no satisfaction. You too saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We will find ourselves in the same predicament 
if we do not seek out the source of true joy. And so we have to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have to make God the object of our affections. We have to set our sight on God. You know, we live in this world that is deeply unsatisfied because many people are going through life without ever thinking about God. And I'm not just talking about people in the outside world. I'm talking about many Christians today as well. A person may come to church on Sunday and then never think about God again until next Sunday. We don't think about God at work. We don't think about God at school. We don't think about God when we're with our friends. God is not the center of our lives. He's somewhere out there on the periphery. And if we want to find joy, then we need to begin by cultivating a healthy relationship with God. We need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. And we need to make sure that we're going to the true source of joy. So that's first. Second, if we are to have joy in a culture that is lacking it, we need to be childlike. If you think about joy, one of the things that often comes to mind for people is children. And one of the reasons for this is because joy comes easy to children. They don't need anything. Um, They don't need the latest toys or gadgets. They find joy in God's creation. They find joy in the simple things. You know, it could be a box, a stick, a rock, or or something else that, that we adults just often overlook. We're the ones throwing all the money at them and throwing the gadgets at them and all those things. They can find joy in the simplest things. They find joy in one another. All they need is a friend. And notice what's recorded in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him, were brought to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Think about that phrase that Jesus uses there. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Those are important words. Jesus is saying that that we, we adults, we grown-ups, we need to be more like little children. Now, he's not saying that we need to be childish. Multiple times in Scripture we're commanded to, to grow up, we're commanded to mature. What Jesus is saying is that we need to be childlike. We need to recapture the the sense of wonder and joy that children have. We need to trust God with a childlike trust that children often display. Sadly, what, what happens is we often just grow up and then we tend to ignore or overlook children. In fact, this is what the disciples are doing in this text. 
They think, well, well, Jesus, you're too important to be bothered by these little kids. But Jesus rebukes the disciples and he welcomes the children. And so welcoming children is an, is an essential work of the church. And we discover this in Mark chapter 9, where we, where we read this account. And so listen to this. And he, that is Jesus, sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus says, when we welcome children, we welcome him. And so we are inviting God into our midst when we welcome children. And so if we want to be, if if we want to experience joy, we need to be childlike. We need to welcome children. I love that Susan Schultz will sometimes go and sit at the, the kids' table when we have a fellowship meal, you know. And um, I think that's what we need to be doing. Learn to cherish and enjoy life the way that children do. You know, two of the greatest Christian writers of the 20th century understood the value of childlikeness. And so uh, Daniel Dink, in his book on joy, writes this. Both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien believed that the development of one's imagination is essential to grasping some of the deeper truths of life. We must move beyond pure logic and analysis to discover the most important gifts of life, love and laughter, trust and faith, and of course, joy. Well, third, if we're going to have joy in a culture like ours, then we need to celebrate. Now, that may seem like a strange point in a sermon on Sunday morning, but it really isn't if you think about it. You know, Luke chapter 15 is a famous chapter in the Bible. Uh, Most of you are probably familiar with it. It contains three parables. And so it begins with the parable of the lost sheep, And then there's the parable of the lost coin. And finally, the one we're most familiar with, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. And when people look at this chapter, they they tend to focus on different things. And so some focus on salvation. It's a chapter about salvation. Or or some focus on um, the love of God that we see in this chapter. And these are all true and good. But there's another theme that runs throughout these three parables, and that is joy. Joy appears at the end of each of these stories. And so let me just uh, show you here. Uh, first, there's the lost sheep. And so Luke 15, 6 through 7. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then there's the lost coin. 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then there's the prodigal son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Rejoice. Celebrate. These are things that we are to do as Christians. And if there's one thing I believe the church needs to improve upon, it's celebrating. Paul commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are expected as Christians to celebrate with those who are celebrating. And and this doesn't mean that we're just to feel good for someone or to tell someone, you know, I'm happy for you. The text means what it says. We are to actually celebrate. We're to throw a party. This is quite evidence if you go to the, the chapter right before this, and so we're in, we've been in Luke 15, go to Luke 14, and you find this command. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And Jesus is, is giving us command here, and some of the versions say, when you throw a party. Jesus wants us to be full of joy. We are to have an abundant joy. We are to surprise people with joy. And so here's a group of people who who don't have very much going for them. They're poor. They're lame. They're blind. And Jesus tells his followers, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go out and throw a party for them. I want you to overwhelm them with joy. I want you to celebrate with them. Here's what I think. And I know this might be controversial, but I think it's biblical. I think every church should have a deacon in charge of celebrations. A deacon who plans surprise parties. A deacon in charge of rejoicing with those who rejoice. A deacon who goes out and finds the poor and lame and blind and says, you know what, you're in for a big treat today. Our church is going to celebrate you today. Come join the party. Now, none of this is arbitrary. It's not something to do just to have fun or just to be different. It is rooted in God and the story of Scripture. Luke 15 is all about celebration because it is a chapter about the character of God. The God who seeks and finds the lost. The God who loves his children and and welcomes them back home. The God who rejoices and celebrates when what is lost is found. And this is the God that we are to imitate. This is the God that we are to be like. Luke 14 is about the God who cares for the downtrodden and marginalized. The God who sees those who are 
overlooked by others. The God who cares for orphans, widows, and foreigners. There's nothing arbitrary about being childlike or celebrating. There's nothing arbitrary about joy. These are gospel texts and they are gospel ways of living. And so, what can the church do in a dark world? What can we do in a world gone wrong? What can we do when there seems to be nothing but bad news? Well, we can commit to being joyful. We can celebrate. We can show the world what it is like to have the joy of Christ and then invite them to join us. Not everyone will, but I guarantee you, people are going to notice joy. And some will wonder and maybe even ask, where does your joy come from? So, go and be joyful and be ready to give an answer. Let's pray. Dear God, we're so grateful to be in here today. We're, we're thankful for all the, the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And we realize that, that we are richly blessed and that we live in a, a country of abundance and we have everything that we need and I pray that we would not let these things overwhelm us, that we would not become addicted to all the abundance, but that we would turn our attention to you and that we would seek you and that we would make you the center of our lives and that we would cultivate a relationship with you and acknowledge that you are the true source of joy. And so, Father, help us keep our focus. Help us stay on the right path. And I pray that we would go out into the darkness and that we would bring some light, that we would be joyful people and that others might ask us, the reason for our joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.